Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Changemakers LA podcast presented by Lisk LA. The Changemakers LA podcast is a tribute to the people and the policies that make LA neighborhoods good places to live, work, and play. This is Steven Salazar Caesar, and I'm a senior program officer at Lisk LA, managing our alternatives to incarceration work. And I'm joined here by my colleague, Shona. Thanks, Steven. My name is Shona Sen, and I'm a senior program officer with Lisk LA and I manage our workforce development work. I'm thrilled to be a part of this conversation today. On today's episode, we will talk to our guests about how they're helping the reentry population access career pathways. Joining us today, we have Samaje Stinson from Asian American Drug Abuse Program, or ADAP. We have Adewale Ogun Badejo from Grid Alternatives and Roberto Luca from Mass Liberation. We're thrilled to have three guests that work directly to help people find stability, build skills, and achieve careers, not just jobs, as they return home. Thank you all for being here. All right. Thank you, Shana. So for our listeners to get a sense of what it's like for someone to come home from incarceration and the often difficult path they face in finding a career, uh, we designed this conversation to highlight a few different stages in that process, including the initial release, that process towards stability, the skill building required for people who might have been away a long time, and finally the point in which someone actually sets forth in their career. So one thing we'll highlight here is that often what is lost in these sort of conversations is that while there is a huge focus on the challenges that um, the system causes people to to navigate, we often lose sight of the experience, perspective, and drive that so many formerly incarcerated people bring to the table. So while we'll highlight the hard parts, we're also going to highlight those positive characteristics of an often misunderstood population. Um, So to kind of walk people through it, first, the person is released, right? And so often people feel that they need to maybe immediately find a job, you know, any job to provide, to feel like they're contributing. But meanwhile, there's a lot of work to be done to heal and to find a measure of stability. Um, And so to touch on this um, is uh, Roberto Luca, who is a program manager and citizen coach at Mass Liberation. Uh, which is an organization based in Torrance that works to educate and empower returning citizens with holistic evidence-based interventions while engaging all communities to emancipate America from mass uh, incarceration. So thank you, Roberto, for being here. Um, You know, so someone, as someone who uh, went through this yourself and now works, you know, day in and day out to support people as they come home, um, sometimes just hours after they've been released, um, and he really works to fight for stability, and you know, make sure that they're working through the emotional, physical, and economic challenges that they face. Um, how do you help those people that come home and are looking for support? Uh, well, I, I, I could like literally give you uh, two examples uh, that happened today. Uh, right before we started this podcast, uh, I had an individual, um, 36 years old, and he's a returning citizen. He has been home five days, uh, and he he was trying to figure out what are his first steps. Um, what is he going to do for employment um, and things like that? And uh, you know, he was right in front of me here, and you know, you could tell that I could tell, and he admitted that he was confused, lost, and scared. Um, and he, this guy, he looked, you know, you could tell he was really very humble and, 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 you know, wants to do the right thing and go in the right direction. Um, so I, you know, I gave, I had a conversation with him about the different resources that are out there. Um, and then what we are capable of doing here for him. Um, one thing that I've learned is that one organization cannot fill in all the gaps. It, it does take a community. Um, and, uh, there's a huge need out there for the services that all organizations uh, provide. There's not enough organizations doing the work. There's just not enough of us to meet the need. So, you know, sitting down with him, one of the things was that uh, he he was scared to get on uh, the bus, right? So uh, earlier we picked him up. I had one of our drivers go out to his housing location because he's in transitional housing pick him up and bring him to our center. 
Um, he sat in one of our classes with some of our students. Uh, today, one of the classes we were having was on relationships and how to have a crucial conversation, um, you know, how to, com how to communicate uh, with your family, you know, how to start creating some boundaries and, and things like that, right? So he sat in that class he, when I spoke to him afterwards. And one of the things he needed was his, social, his uh, EBT card, his benefits, right? And he was like, hey, I don't know how I'm going to get to uh, the DPSS office on Grand. And so I told him, hey, don't worry about it. Uh, I had one of our drivers come up, one of our former alumni come in and uh, asked him, hey, come on in. Uh, you know, this is Mr. Uh, Nam. I, I'm, I'm just okay if I could share his first name. And he was like, yeah, hey, you know what? Um, I, I, I'll take, uh, I will take him and we'll sit in line with him at the, the PSS office and we'll walk him through the process so he can get his benefits and, and get his things. And he was like, and how, how am I going to get home? Um, he doesn't know how to navigate like a, a, a Google Maps. He doesn't know how to, you know, he doesn't have that wherewithal transportation yet. And I told him, hey, don't worry about it. We'll take you there and then we'll drop you at home. And we'll pick you up tomorrow morning so you can come back to the center and we can continue moving forward and working uh, in the path and direction uh, he wants he wants to go. But that's literally like a day one with someone who comes into our center. It's been out a week. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and so that, that sort of fear of the unknown, of coming home and not knowing, you know, how to navigate the different systems can really complicate a job search that often people want to jump right into, right? And so, you know, as at Mass Liberation, as you help them navigate those basic stability things, how do you get them to that next level where they're ready to maybe go look for a job? So what we, we have a couple options in classes. We have uh, vocational and educational classes that we do. And then we also have our four-week reentry course. In uh, our four-week reentry course, I call it life skills and on uh, 2.0, 2.5, whatever that number is, but it's the next level, right? It's the actual practice of new behaviors. Um, a lot of these, a lot of our long-termers that are coming home have done a lot of work inside as, as, as lifers going for parole here and things like that. But it's a different process to come out into the world and start practicing these new behaviors. Um, they look a lot different. So there's a learning curve. Um, to that. And so we, we work on them on the fundamentals, uh, not on getting the job, uh, but on keeping the job. And that's what we, we focus on 100% is talking about the things uh, that may get in the way, you know, of their professional development. Um, you know, and those things are, for example, like, what are their uh, healthy soothing behaviors going to look like? You know, uh, I'm just going to be very transparent because that's how we are here at Mass Liberation. And you want to have fun. You know, you've been deprived of human contact. You're going to want to have sex. Uh, you're going to want to uh, be able to explore and, and do new things, right? So those things on the academic level, right, it's called variety. It's called mastery. And, you know, it's called living life on life's terms. Um, and we all want to have those relationships. We all want to love and be loved. Right. So we, we focus on those things in our four week curriculum um, and talk about what are healthy uh, soothing behaviors look like. You know, what is harm reduction uh, look like? How do you stay safe uh, on a date? How do, how do you stay safe going out um, and associating with different uh, people, with meeting new people? Right. So we go over a lot of that. That really gives them the basic fundamentals to begin to empower themselves and, and moving forward. In our four-week curriculum, we also have the employment piece. So we do the mock interviews with them. We do the elevator pitches and, and those things, right? Um, <clears throat> and uh, one of the things that we're very, well, I, I think we're good at here is technology. We love technology. Um, we have a technology bootcamp that we put them through. Um, and they learned how to do Google Sheets, how to do work Google Docs, how to, how to do their own email accounts. And that's when the preparedness really starts coming in and the hands-on to learning how to create your own resume. 
right? We don't want to create a resume for them. We want to empower them to learn how to create a, their own resume, how to change their resume, how to update their resume. Um, and that's the learning here that we do. That's the empowerment piece um, that we practice. Uh, once we've completed that, then we're able to use our network of contacts, whether it be employment um, companies or um, employment agencies or other organizations and providers that do great work. And we can refer them to those job sites, to those uh, job applications and help them get on their feet and move forward. Uh, our vocational and educational classes are in partnership with Southwest College. Um, Southwest Community College here in Los Angeles. Um, and we have a logistics class and a maintenance uh, apartment technician uh, class that we do in partnership with Southwest College. Uh, one is a three-week program, the other one is a six-week program. Uh, and they go through hands-on training, uh, professional uh, development, um, uh, how uh, to navigate uh, different um situational behaviors at work right how to communicate with your supervisors how to bring up grievances to your supervisors how do those crucial conversations look like how they're framed um so we try to give them all of the basic fundamentals uh to move forward into the workplace prepared um at the end of it we also have the opportunity because of some great uh, partnerships that we have uh, and I'll give them a shout out, uh, Change Reaction. Uh, they're a great partner. Uh, we have an angel fund with them and they give us the opportunity to purchase for folks tools, phones, boots, uniforms, uh, pay for DUI classes, uh, and really support them economically uh, to give them the best opportunity to move forward into the workforce. Awesome, thank you. And, you know, lastly, you know, my experience working in reentry, both with clients and colleagues are like the wealth of strengths that that folks um, have coming out of incarceration. They, they bring a lot of really excellent qualities in a colleague uh, to the workplace. So can you touch on, you know, the strengths that the people you work with bring to the table? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, uh, uh, you know, you're 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 talking about a population that is hungry to do good, right? You're talking about a population who is uh, resilient, uh, motivated, um, educated, um, and prepared to uh, be a reliable, loyal, and, and, and hardworking person. Um, and I'm, you know, for me, uh, I'll use myself as an example. When I came home, my competition were the 20-year-old kids you know, all my supervisors have been younger than me. Uh, when I worked for Home Depot, when I worked for uh, uh, Amway, uh, when I worked for other, uh, you know, logistic warehouse companies, construction companies that I started, you know, I was competing with kids. Um, and, you know, I used my experience, my maturity, and my drive to get me where I am today. Um, you know, earlier in the podcast, you said program manager. Well, I'm the director now, thankfully. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of hard work. But, but um, you know, uh, and I'm no different, you know, than, than uh, our returning citizen population and reentry community. Like, that's what we're bringing to the table. Um, you know, you heard the slogan. I'm sure, you know, the slogan, uh, make America great again. Well, the reentry community is going to make America great again, you know, uh, because we're investing in our communities, we're giving back, um, and we're applying uh, everything that we have learned um, throughout our lives to make this second chance at life and this experience much richer. Um, and then we also have uh, to build, right? We have legacies to build. We have uh, families to contribute to. Um, and, and then we also have a society to be grateful for, you know. Um, I'm a taxpayer now, I pay a lot of taxes. You know, am I grateful for that? Maybe not so much now. <laughs> but, you know, I know that I am now a contributing factor to my community. 
Um, and that's what the reentry community is bringing to the table. Um, employers, uh, a, a reentry, a returning citizen brings value to your company. Awesome. Thank you, Roberto, uh, Program Director at Mass Liberation. I appreciate <laughs> the insight. Um, and I'll throw it over to my colleague, Shannon. Thanks so much, Stephen and Roberto. Uh, so after being released, uh, Roberto talked a little bit about uh, the experiences that uh, people who have just been released uh, face right when they're coming out of being incarcerated. And after uh, going through a number of uh, different, hopefully uh, supportive services and programming, um, when people are ready, they're looking for a job. Um, and they're looking for a job that not only pays the bills, but it also allows for career advancement gratification and respect, which are all things I think we all want. Uh, so Samaje Stinson, who jo uh, I'm joined by today, uh, is a vocational counselor for the Asian American Drug Abuse Program, uh, or ADAP. And ADAP is an organization that works to support Asian Pacific Islanders and other historically excluded communities, including the reentry community, through a whole person approach to education, intervention, treatment, outreach, advocacy, and employment programs. Thank you, Samaje, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So Samaje, to level set a bit, uh, could you explain uh, the barriers that you've seen that the reentry population face in seeking a career and how you at ADAP in turn help to train and support people who are navigating a sometimes hostile job market? Yes, um, some of the barriers I see um, from individuals who are released from incarceration uh, that are referred to me uh, would be a lack of identification, um, a lack of uh, ID, a, a social security card, birth certificate, um, re a resume, uh, transportation, interview clothing, interview skills, childcare. Uh, these are some of the barriers that I see. And uh, something that I guess not everyone else can see, uh, but I know through the lens that I work, um, I'm able to see the collateral consequences of incarceration. And um, these collateral consequences are legal disabilities imposed by, by law as a result of a criminal conviction, regardless of whether a convicted individual served any time. Um, and uh, these, these consequences create uh, social and economic barriers uh, for individuals. Uh, re-entering the society, um, like restricting benefits otherwise available to all Americans. Um, some of them uh, that uh, I can talk about are like adoption, like housing, uh, welfare, uh, immigration, property rights. Um, but again, where I specialize in will be in employment and then professional licensure, uh, profession, professional licensing, uh, licenses. Um, and so, um, Again, uh, you know, the this co collectively affects, um, you know, uh, individuals in this population. And it also adds to, uh, you know, maybe th them recidivating. Um, um, and so, you know, uh, that's something that I kind of work with the, my client and uh, assess uh, through um, an, an employment plan. Um, so when we initially meet with them, um, again, I kind of, you know, look at some of these barriers that I have in my head, and then we discuss, um, you know, their criminal conviction and try to find out if uh, the job that they used to do or that all the experience, um, because that's what we focus on here is the abilities, experience, um, and interests of our clients. And so if, if those align, um, you know, with what they used to do, if they, if they still want to do that, then we try to help them. But if their conviction um, opposes what they used to do, then uh, we have to find another route. Thank you so much, Samaje. Um, and you mentioned, what what did you call it? The collateral uh, consequences of- Incarceration. Mm -hmm. Such a great uh, term. And I, I think that is such a uh, all-encompassing way of saying what some of those barriers might be. Uh, it's everything. It's not just employment. And I think it's important to remember that there are so many other pieces to this puzzle. Uh, while we're talking about employment today, there's so many other things that ADAP is supporting their uh, their clients with. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, 
what job sector, Samaje, would you say or industries are the most accommodating to the reentry population just based on your experience? And where do you see your clients have the most success and why? Um, a space that I uh, begin to work in um, is construction. Construction and the reentry population kind of go hand in hand. Um, that's not the only one, but again, that is my favorite. Uh, the other one, which has been discussed by Roberto, was uh, logistics. Logistics um, is, is becoming more prevalent. Um, um, and then also, I would even say uh, with the lived experience that individuals have after they are released, uh, becoming a counselor or uh, being, um, uh, you know, a drug and alcohol counselor or uh, maybe some peer support specialist or something like that. Uh, those are some of the sectors and, and um, uh, entry level positions I see. Um, and then in, in construction, I could just talk about construction and logistics briefly. Construction, um, you don't have to have a college degree. Um, you can have very little skills. You you know, um, most of the skills that I have in construction uh, are uh, just knowing how to hammer, knowing how to use a drill. And again, those are um, skills that will get you on a construction site. Now, the issue with construction is the tools and the support, okay? So um, just giving you guys a brief uh, glimpse. Um, in construction, you need to, uh, well, you don't have to. There, in construction, there are uh, union jobs and there are non-union jobs. Um, in construction, you want to go union, but again, you do not have to go union. Uh, to get into the union, you need a sponsor. And so, again, the work that we uh, do here in ADAP is getting a credible employer to sponsor individuals to go into the union. Um, and so, again, it's not as easy as just saying it. Um, there uh, are a number of hoops and jumps and, you know, barriers that we ha had to, uh, red tape, I'll just call it, had to go through to work with construction uh, contractors um, to employ our individuals. Um, with these little skills. And then with logistics, logistics, again, um, is another easy entry level uh, sector where you can just go in by knowing how to move boxes, being able to lift 50 plus pounds. Um, and again, you can work your way up uh, through that by getting, let's say, like a, a lean six yellow Sigma belt, right? Um, and then you can, again, be, be a manager. Um, so, uh, the, again, these small certifications, right, uh, in construction and logistics, you can obtain in, let's say, less than a year. Um, uh, and again, you can enter the workforce in those sectors. So I hope I answered that well. That was perfect. Thanks so much. Uh, you mentioned, Samaje, some barriers and red tape that you face in working with employers in different industries. Uh, are there any, like, what role does policy advocacy um, play in this process? Uh, things like the bill AB 1816, for example, which is the Reentry Housing and Workforce Development Program, uh, which wasn't passed this year. Uh, why are bills like that so important to advocate for? Uh, in the beginning, I didn't think uh, it was so important. Um, I didn't think policy was something I needed to, uh, you know, focus on or even, you know, I just thought the work that I do here, helping people every day uh, was going to do it. But I realized after working here for, you know, for a couple of years <laughs> that uh, things get done when, uh, you know, the state, the city, when there are laws created, um, right. And they, and uh, it affects, um the system, right? And I feel like the system is broken. And so, um, I, again, I think policy is really important because, um, for instance, uh, this bill that was not uh, uh, that was not uh, signed, uh, AB 1816, uh, the Ranchy Housing and Workforce Development Program, um, it would have, you know, uh, been a program where people get out and um, they get assistance with finding a house or housing and a job. <laughs> and so I think that, again, if you are talking about rehabilitating rehabilitation of this reentry population, what better services than a house and a job? Uh, they're, they're required to have those when they leave by CDCR. But again, there is very little help and policy um, that actually goes, you know, into making it happen. Um, a, a bill actually that I think just passed uh, is SB 731. 
And um, I think uh, it was a bill about post-relief conviction. Um, and I think that's where a lot of work uh, should also be focused on uh, once an individual is released, their criminal record and those collateral consequences uh, no longer affecting them. I don't know if you know, but um, their a criminal record stays with you for the rest of your life. I mean, technology is so good now. We have data everywhere. <laughs> uh, so again, uh, the these records uh, and convictions, they stay, stay with you and they should not, and they hinder when they should not. Um, so again, uh, the, these bills uh, definitely, and policy definitely needs to, to, to happen. So that change uh, takes place. Thank you so much, Samaje. And, and those bills and policies passing helps you do your job better too um, and be able to do your job because there's so many barriers in that process, I'm sure. But thank you for all of the work you do. It was lovely chatting with you. I'm going to uh, pass it back to my colleague, Stephen. Thank you, Shana. And now we're at the point where people find a job and are able to actually apply the skills and perspective they've developed and hopefully have the support of an employer that values their labor and wants them to develop. Adewale Ogunbadejo is the Workforce Development Manager at Grid Alternatives. Grid Alternatives is a nonprofit with the vision for a successful transition to clean, renewable energy that includes everyone. Adewale's work focuses on renewable technologies and developing green career pathways in historically excluded communities. And he has implemented a solar installation training program specifically for individuals in reentry. Adewale, your work focuses on what many call a just transition into the green economy. And GRID not only welcomes reentry people into your work, but actively seeks them out and assists them in making a career out of the skills they learn. Can you tell me why you actively seek out, train, and hire formerly incarcerated, formerly incarcerated people? And why should other industries do the same? Thank you, Stephen. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think for us, um, GRID is heavily focused on what you many call DEI, or we call EID, but equity, inclusion, and diversity. And it's really at the center of all the work that we do. Um, you know, so when it comes to working with individuals that have been formerly incarcerated or justice involved, we kind of take a step back and look at like, you know, what are the, what is, what is like the historical circumstances that got people where they are today, not just the individual, but the communities that we serve. And we understand that there's systems of oppression and a lot of other things that have happened prior. So a lot of times people didn't have a first chance, let alone a second chance. And we feel like if somebody's served their time, you know, um, then they've paid their debts to society and they deserve an opportunity just like anybody else. So, you know, as a solar nonprofit, we would like to support the communities that we serve and help people get to the place where they want to be in terms of turning their lives around, you know, and having career opportunities where they are able to take care of themselves and their families. Thank you. And so, you know, what makes or what, how does your approach differ from other employers in, in bringing folks that are formerly incarcerated in? What kind of supports do you provide? What kind of training? Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, we, work with community so we don't believe in doing it alone we believe in a collaborative approach so like the speakers before me um roberto and, and samaje you know they they are partners or collaborators within the ecosystem you know they're working with the individuals when they're first coming out the system when they're first coming home and you know getting them ready providing them with the wraparound supportive services that they need to be whole again you know and that they need to in order to be successful um, at work. I think Roberto said it earlier, and it's like, you know, it's not about getting the job. It's really about keeping the job, right? So we're part of the end of that ecosystem. Like once they've been provided with these supportive wraparound services, then they come to Grid Alternatives and they're able to go through our solar training program. And we're really focused on like the technical skills building where they're learning how to actually install the solar. And we have individuals that also have lived experiences that are within our organization. Um, but by the time they go through the complete ecosystem, you know, and they're ready to apply for a job. They're not just ready because they've done some training. They're ready because they've addressed all those different barriers, you know, that needed to be addressed before they could move into an employment or a career opportunity. So I think what makes us, you know, different from a lot of employers is that we look at it really holistically. Um, you know, we're community-based and community-informed, and we try to do everything through a, a equity, inclusion, and diversity lens. 
you know, um, so it informs not only how we do our work internally, but how we, you know, approach the communities we work with externally, you know, and we want our community, we want our organization to be reflective of the communities that we serve. So, you know, whether we're training people, whether people are working for the organization, or whether we're preparing people to go out and work with other with other, you know, companies or organizations outside of grid, um, I think the philosophy is all the same at the core. Excellent. Thank you. And so, you know, with that success, how do you leverage what you're doing and the success you're seeing to push other companies to do what you're doing and hiring returning citizens, um, but not just hiring, but also paying them a competitive wage that allows them to build, you know, a career out of it? How do you push others to do the same? Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> to Shona's question earlier and kind of Samaj's, you know, response that policy is important. You know, um, so when it comes to like advocating for um, family sustaining wages, that's stuff that a lot of times has to happen at the policy level. Um, but I think it's also the responsibility of, you know, local community based organizations to come together and make a push. And then, you know, from a training standpoint, it's like, how can we make sure that we're doing our job in terms of program and service delivery? So that, you know, we're helping to prepare individuals as best as possible to be the best they can be when they're walking into these, you know, employment opportunities, um, you know, because if they're prepared, you know, then they'll they'll succeed and they'll not only get the job, but they'll be able to move up, um, you know, through the ladders as time goes on. And that will help them to also increase increase wages. Um, but, you know, one one. The reason that we're in the clean energy sector, I would say, is because, you know, we know that the clean energy um, transition is happening and, you know, it's it's exploding right now, as you can see by the, the Inflation Reduction Act and, you know, the over $360 billion of investment that's going into clean energy. You know, so we believe that this is a sector where there's going to be a lot of um, employment opportunities, you know, for the next decade plus. Um, and the foreseeable future, as we know, there has to be this transition um, because of what climate change looks like, right? So um, it's really a great field for individuals coming out, you know, that really want to give back to the community, right? Because they're able not only to have like these economic benefits, but also these environmental benefits, um, you know, and, and being able to do the work that they do. So it, it really keeps them motivated, um, but it's also tied to economic opportunity. And you know, one of the things GRID is focusing on now is not just um, teaching people how to be workers, uh, but also you know working with individuals who have that entrepreneurial spirit, as so many do from the communities that we serve. You know, um, a lot of trainees that have come through our, our our training program over the years now have their own contractors license, and you know their C10s and C46s. You know, so it's like. How can we, again, look at it from an ecosystem standpoint and not only like train workers, but also work with individuals that are starting their own businesses and what kind of supports can we put in place for them? Because we know if their businesses grow, they're going to come back and hire, you know, trainees from the same system they came out of, you know. So it's really looking at, at things, I think, holistically. It's about like policy. It's about advocacy. It's about collaboration because, you know, there's strength in numbers. So the three organizations that are here for, if you include LISC, you know, all pushing and advocating for, you know, family sustaining wages or, you know, removing policies that, you know, put up unnecessary barriers for, you know, formerly incarcerated justice involved individuals, then we're able to kind of move the meter forward. Uh, so I think, you know, main, staying within um, the community, you know, being on ground and working with um, community partners to really move the agenda forward. I think is what makes the difference. Excellent. Thank you so much for your perspective on that. Something else I wanted to ask was, you know, yeah, I think we're in LA County, at least there's a sort of unprecedented investment in alternatives to incarceration right now. Um, but not just in that space, there's also environmental projects, you know, across the county, water capture projects across the county, housing projects across the county. And, you know, Often there's talk from government about, you know, investing in communities that were most impacted by, you know, the war on drugs, three strike laws, that sort of thing. But often what gets lost in the shuffle is that the reentry population, the people that actually went away for this stuff are lost in the mix. And so, you know, when people are thinking of these projects and how to 
um, engage with this population? How do you how do you recommend they make sure that not that the rancher population and folks that mo- were most impacted are not just an afterthought, but actually engaged in the planning and the implementation and reaping the benefits of these large investment projects? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, again, I think it it takes partners. You know, like who who is at the government level that, you know, we need to engage with, um, you know, from a a local standpoint, from an individual to a community-based organization standpoint, who are our representatives, you know, and what is it um, that we want to advocate for to make sure um, that the message is clear and and what we're advocating for, you know, so it it, it takes that togetherness. um, And, you know, once the policies are in place, then you have the implementers and, knowing who the implementers are, you know, who are who are the ones that are really doing the work in the community. Um, when we first got into this work, you know, back in 2010, I remember, um, you know, being able to work with Homeboy Industries. And that, that meant so much to us as an organization, because at that time we were really small. And, you know, we were moving from Carson into the city of Los Angeles. We didn't have much presence, um, but we wanted to do the work. And Homeboy, you know, was, gracious enough to open their doors to us. And over the years, we've been able to, you know, I think partner and collaborate um, in a number of ways to where we were able to tap into some of that, you know, um, government funding that you, you were talking about, for example, the California Community Reinvestment Grant, which was focused on serving individuals impacted by the war on drugs, you know, and it provided us funding for two years initially, and we were able to, you know, serve 36 individuals over that two-year period. Homeboy was able to serve another, you know, 100 plus with supportive wraparound services. Um, But had those policies not come down in the first place, had somebody not advocated for the policy, then the money wouldn't come down, you know, for us to then join with Homeboy Industries um, to apply for this money that would help us you know, serve individuals from from the communities that we serve. So, you know, I think it's working with with partners like like Homeboy Industries. So good to you know meet Roberta today with Mass Liberation. Definitely want to know more about the organization. And over the years, we've worked with West Adams WorkSource. You know, so again, I, I I hope I'm not saying it too much, but it's like you know the ecosystem, the ecosystem, the ecosystem, the partners, and knowing like who are the stakeholders at the various levels. Um, that we need to engage in so that we can move the needle. Awesome. Thank you, Adewale. Uh So like I mentioned, we also wanted to focus on, you know, the positive stuff. And so this is for each of you. Um, so we want to hear some success stories. You know, you could tell us about a client or a colleague, um, you know, who are out there doing the work day in and day out to successfully transition and, and become economically stable and get that career and, and get moving, you know. So I'll go to Roberto first. Um, is there a success story you want to share with us? Oh man, <laughs> where do I start? That's what keeps me in this business. Uh, um, and it's, you know, I say I call it a business, uh, but it, you know, it's my passion, it's my love, it's my care. Like this is my community, you know, this is Los Angeles um, and we're an awesome community. And, and what makes us unique is our diversity, you know, um, and, uh, you know, I hope to get to live another 50 years because I want to see the change that the momentum uh, that we have. But I'll give you a great story. Um, his name is Jordan. Mr. Jordan uh, came to us after serving over 30 years uh, incarcerated, close to 40. Um, he was 67 uh, when he got out never touched a cell phone, never touched a computer. Um, And he just um, came to us, right? Uh, Released from prison into our traditional house that we have in in Wilmington. Um, And we're we're very fortunate. We have a great house in in a nice residential area where it's safe. Um, And, you know, he came to us and the question is, you know, he's not, he's 67 years old, been in prison over 30 years. And we're like, okay, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to get him going? Like, where's his retirement plan going to come from? How is his transportation going to work? Where is he going to live? Like, what are these, how are these things going to happen for, 
from Mr. Jordan, you know, and um, he stayed with us for a little over a year, right? But in that year, he began with a number of odd jobs. You know, he went through our forward reentry class and slowly we showed him how to use the computer, how to use his phone enough to get by. Um, and then he, he himself, you know, after gaining the ability to use technology and, you know, um, got a car loan um, through a program that we have, again, with Change Reaction, um, was able to get a, a little car, was able to navigate a little better the city and get around places. And um, he enrolled in uh, the Metro uh, training program with Los Angeles. Uh, and a few months ago, he graduated. Um, he is uh, driving a bus as I speak. Um, he moved out of our transitional housing unit into his own one-bedroom apartment, which is very nice, by the way. I was very jealous. Um, and he lives in Inglewood near the, the stadium. Uh, and he has uh, bought a new car. He's living on his own. Uh, he's driving uh, metro buses for our community. Uh, and he's now 68 years old. Uh, and he's just, he's doing amazing. Uh, and like, yeah, he's, he's really one of those like old school type of, of guys, you know, still wears like a hat. And, when I see him, I think he came out of like a 70s movie. He's always dressed sharp and, you know, but he, he did it. He did it. And um, whew, I get emotional <laughs> um, because here's this man at age six, in his 60s, he finally um, created a life for himself, you know. And it's just, it's amazing to, to see. He also just published a, a book, um, a poet. Uh, he's, he's actually on Amazon um, and uh, Jordan and um, his uh, uh, poems that he wrote while he was in prison. Um, so yeah, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, you know. That, that's my success story. That's beautiful. No, you, I'm over here with chills and tears. You, you got, I ran the gamut on that one. Thank you. Uh, no, that was a lovely story. And I, I hope to meet him one day. Um, oh, definitely. What, a, what an amazing story. We'll have him on your podcast. There you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, Samaje, how about you? You got a success uh, story? Yes. Um, I feel like Roberto is able to see all the ins and outs. And um, and you can tell from his organization, he's, um, you know, on the front lines uh, doing the work um, right where he goes. Well, may, he may not go inside of prison, but again, um, he gets them right out of prison uh, where I get them. They ref they're referred to me uh, from like their parole officer or uh, where they're staying. Um, so I, I don't have that hands-on um, insight, uh, but I, I do have numerous stories. Um, the one that's actually on my brain right now, um, I've been working with this gentleman since 2019. His name is Tin, um, and he had first came to me um, and was telling me his story. And he's the individual um, who was told um, that he would be serving life without the possibility of parole and so um uh he got out and of course when he came to me he had everything he wanted to do um uh you know lifers they they have spent too much time waiting sitting and as soon as they get out uh they like i said he had a plan he, he he had a plan like here it is Samaje I need this is what I need you to help me with and so of course um some of the biggest things were uh, <laughs> uh getting him out of his uh 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 facility reentry facility um so once he got out you know we could he could meet me more um then uh <laughs> we were working on supportive services like clothes and uh working in our blueprint for workplace success um so 
Um, I was able to, you know, meet with him for a week straight, go through a whole training with him. And uh, again, uh, he said, hey, Samaje, you know, I'm I'm enrolled in school. I'm trying to get my Ph.D. And and, uh, I was like, "Okay, you know, you could just let me know what I have to do. And so he, he did that. Um, he um, was volunteering for an organization. Um, one of his passions is working with animals. So he did that. Um, and, and then he found another avenue um, in the work uh, that we do um, as counselors. Um, and he is uh, currently the immigration supervisor for um, this organization um, uh, where they work with immigrants who are released from incarceration. Um, his same story. And um, he's, again, the supervisor. Um, he just got that, uh, I want to say, two weeks ago. Um, and so um, I'm still helping them. Hey, I have resources for you. Um, and so, um, you know, again, that that's just one individual who, uh, like I said, <laughs> I had life without the possibility of parole. And then now he's uh, on his way to get his uh, Ph.D., um, another individual I'm thinking of is um, Mr. Raul. Raul was one of the first people I helped in construction. Again, came to me, said, hey, I'm making $19 at a warehouse. I'm tired of doing this. Get, send me over to the, the operators engineers union. Let me do it. I'm ready. I just need you to pay my dues <laughs> and, you know, I, I'll do it. And now he's making 50 plus dollars as a machine operator. Right. Knowing how to drive and use any <laughs> anything on that construction site he could he could you know he could use any machine so uh those are just two people that i'm thinking of right now that um again i've worked with since you know three three plus years and just again um you know like i said they had a plan and i was just trying to assist be of service wow yeah thank you so much and they're lucky to have someone like you you know advocating for them and giving them support um, all right, Adewale, bring us home. You got one? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I just want to say to, to Roberto, um, your story, man, it, I could feel the passion in there. And that's definitely, I think, what what got me coming back year after year. Um, I've been with the organization for going on my 13th year. Um, and it's longer than I've worked ever worked anywhere in my life. Um, but it was because each year there was something that brought me back. And it was a lot of times that, you know, there's nothing I think more fulfilling than when somebody come up to you and, you know, you can see the change that's happened, you know, and and how happy they are when they thank you. It definitely warms you up and it makes you want to come back and do more, you know, Uh, because you're knowing what, what your, the work that you do has an impact. Um, And it's making it, it's making a difference and it's making a change in our communities. So, you know, the, the two I would mention, because um, there's so many over the years, um, but there's one individual who was a lifer, um, like has been mentioned here. And he came out and, and went through our training program, you know, and, and you know, was one of our, our top trainees um, and went on to work for, I would say, what, what's a mid-level company now? And he's been there for, I think, almost three years, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, but his daughter was so proud of him that she came to the program, you know, and he was, he called and he's like, man, I want to get my daughter in the program, you know, and his daughter was a college student, but she was so proud of her father, you know, um, for doing what he did and, and taking that step that she joined the program. And then he called us back, you know, after the next code and called and said, listen, I need to get my two sons off the couch, you know, <laughs> and, you know, so he, he got his two sons in the program. So it became a whole family thing. You know, and that 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 was impactful in itself. Um, but there's a young man, um, you know, who came to us probably about six or seven years ago now. And he's he's just he's a change maker in himself. You know, um, he's done amazing things when he was younger. He had, he had made some pretty bad mistakes, you know, and it got him in a lot of trouble. And he had to sit down for a couple of years um, and he was fortunate to get out. And he went to um, Conservation Corps Long Beach. And that was the beginning of his transformation. And at the time, we partnered with Conservation Corps Long Beach to provide solar training for youth. Um, and he went through that program and then he went through our internship and then he went through a year long fellowship with us. Um, and then he started working for a solar company. Um, you know, and I remember um, walking with him from our office, which is very close to Los Angeles Trade Technical College 
to enroll him in the, um, you know, the college there. Um, you know, and just last year I was able to go to his graduation, you know, and for me, that was like, wow, you know, this is amazing. And today now he's like one of the lead, um, you know, administrators over at, um, it's in um, Pacific Gateway in Long Beach, you know, and now he's helping to impact young people like him, trying to prevent them to get into from getting into the same trouble he got into as a youth, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, people are ready to do the right thing, you know, um, they just need opportunity. They need access. Um, and it's amazing to, to see what happens when when that's there, you know. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all for sharing the stories. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's impactful and it's emotional and it's, um, you know, I'm sure rewarding, also very difficult for all of you. You know, it's it's a tough job, but you, you put in the work and you get to see those successes. So thank you for sharing. Uh, and thank you for being um, with us today, uh, Roberto Samaje Nadewale. Um, you know, I, I'm sure I speak for Shona, we're very thankful to have you as colleagues and, and friends. And um, I, I appreciate knowing you're out there doing it you know, every day. So thank you. Um, Shana. Thank you all so much for being here with us this afternoon. Um, I think each of you play such a critical piece of this puzzle um, and you do such impactful work. And it's been such an honor and privilege to hear uh, more about uh, the work that you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis to really help communities uh, in re-entry uh, successfully. Uh, be able to have full uh, lives after being incarcerated. This episode of Changemakers LA was made possible by our sponsor, the Ralph M. Parsons Foundation. If you would like to learn more about how we support place-based initiatives for housing and economic development at LISC LA, please visit us online at www.lisc.org Los Angeles and follow us on Twitter at LISC underscore LA. You can find the rest of the series on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Subscribe to hear more conversations about the people and places that shape Los Angeles. This podcast was produced in collaboration with Ronell Hampton, founder of Growing Greatness Now. Growing Greatness Now is a consulting firm committed to social and environmental justice.